Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. Great to be worshiping with you this morning and uh, super fired up about what God's doing in this place. Can't wait to see what God has to say and do as we continue to walk through the book of 2 Corinthians here. And uh, we're in a series that's called Satisfied. Satisfied. We're talking about what it means to take a look into the depths of whatever's going on in the next day of your life and whatever the struggles might be and whatever the pains might be or whatever the challenges might be and to be able to remain satisfied with your Savior, to be able to have a fixed eyes on your God and making much of Him. May He be celebrated, satisfied in Him, not in the circumstances. Man, it is so easy to get wrapped up and what's happening next, the circumstances of it. And Lord, help us to be able to live above that, beyond that, and focused on you. And all of God's people said, right? And so 2 Corinthians 10 through 13 is walking through different things we need to know and that we need to be a part of in order to go after that. And in fact, these last couple of weeks and today, Paul kind of had one giant challenge going on is when people are coming at you, when challenges are being brought to you, when you're being mistreated or wrongly spoken of, how do you handle it? What do you do? What do you go about? What do you go after so that um, those who aren't standing with their God, but they're standing against and are attacking you, well, how do you talk to them? And how do you make it real and clear where you stand? And Today, actually, Paul's been sort of preparing us for this moment as we walk through these verses today, as he's walked through the last couple of weeks, giving us in chapter 11 there sort of a preparation and a heads up on where he was going to head. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in the middle of verse 21 there. It's a new paragraph, all right, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and today's sermon is called Cautious Confrontation, Cautious Confrontation. Uh, this is not run out and make sure every moment of every day you're doing this. Everybody say, not that. Okay, it's not running out and always trying to find some battle somewhere. But sometimes we are called to be able to take a stand and we need to make that stand. We used the phrase last week, measured confrontation. Measured confrontation. Reasoning through the appropriateness of the when and the where. Speaking, a fool, speaking to a fool according to his folly. Uh, is needed sometimes, but a lot of times not speaking to a fool according to his folly, right? And uh, so keeping it cool, keeping it calm, but every once in a while recognizing it's time for a measured confrontation. The first step here in the cautious confrontation, it is not wrong to take a strong stand against a prideful assertion. It is not wrong to take a strong stand against a prideful assertion. Notice I said it is not wrong. If we ended up just saying, just take a stand against, well, that would say all the time. And sometimes it needs to be measured. Be careful with that. Sometimes we need to hold back a little bit. Sometimes we need to step up. It is not wrong to take a strong stand against a prideful assertion. So here we go. We start out, verse 21, right in the middle there, a new paragraph. It says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast... Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Now, when he says, I'm speaking as a fool, he's like, oh, I can't believe I'm being dragged to this level. I have to say, here we go, get ready. Remember at the beginning of chapter one, he's like, bear with my 
foolishness. There's something I'm going to have to walk through with you, and I need you to get ready to hear it. And then again last week in verse 16 when he said, man, here we go. I'm getting ready to bring to you some foolishness. Okay, now we're going to hear what he's talking about. This is that strong speaking about himself that he was going to go after. The foolishness he's talking about is when he was somewhat bragging about himself. He's bringing up what God had blessed into his life in various ways. He's like, man, I'm telling you, there are some who dare to boast. I can't believe I'm talking this way. Here we go. I'm going to do the same. Okay, that's what Paul's talking about. He's like, get ready. How do we know when to go to a level where we're going to share pretty firmly with another, even if it's about ourselves? How do we know how to dress a fool according to his folly? And I just wrote this down. Four things that need to be true when we're addressing a fool according to his folly, all right? Four things that need to be true when we're going to address the fool. Number one, what you're saying is true. What you're saying is true. So the first one is true. And uh, that's a pretty obvious one, but I'm just telling you, don't use untruth to try to move someone who's doing something wrong. Truth, reality, make it clear, make it concise, but truth, this is what's going on. This is the reality of what you see in their life. Maybe this is the reality of who I am. True. Make sure the thing you're addressing is first true. Second, timely. Timely. This is the measured portion. Prayerfully consider, God, what do you want done? Lord, is this a moment to stand in there? For those of you who love a battle, timely is the word to you that means hang on. Back up a little bit. Be patient. For those of you who can't stand to ever confront a soul, timely is you might need to get in there. Consider leaning in a little bit. What does it look like to be engaging, okay? First it's true, then it's timely. Third, measured. Careful what you're going to say. Careful how animated you're going to be about saying it. Careful what you have to say about yourself. Make sure you're not walking in sinfully. You know how we do with it, right? Where you put up, you put up, you put up, then you blow up, right? Like everybody say, that's a bad plan, right? It is, and we do that as humans all the time. We just hold it, we bottle it, we bottle it, we bottle it, we let it cook and cook and cook, and then it just goes off. And then we are no longer measured in the midst, right? So uh, true, timely, measured, and then the fourth one, humble. This is so not about defending you. Make sure that's not what you're going after. It's not that it's wrong to say, hey man, you're misunderstanding where I'm at with that. Here's what really went down. But that's not about, I need you to think better of me. It's like this whole thing's gonna go better when you understand the picture better, right? I care more about what happens with you and I'm telling you, it's gonna be for your good to understand the whole of what I'm talking about here. It's considering the best for them. This is not just self-defense, okay? Humble in the midst. If you're addressing a fool, it's true, it's timely, it's measured, and it's humble. Make sure you've got those locked in. This is a deep breath. Lord, please help me not to sin as I step forward. This really seems to be needing to be addressed. Here we go. And we lean in, all right? That's where Paul's at right now. He's like, it's true, it's timely, it's measured, it's humble, and then you're going to need to hear it right now. He's like, I also dare to boast about that. Here we go. The first three boasts here are all about his ethnic nature. These guys were walking around and they're making a big deal about the fact that they're like 
super apostles. They're like really cool dudes who really have their act together in the Jewish kingdom. And he's like, really? We're going to talk about the ethnic thing. Like that's a slam on me. Okay, let's have a little conversation time. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Okay, are they Hebrews? That word really just means, are they living this culturally as a Hebrew? Do they speak the language of Hebrew? Do they live in the Jewish culture? That's what Hebrew would really bring out is more the cultural element. Are they living culturally as a Hebrew? So am I. And uh, next one, are they Israelites? So am I. Can you hear him just bringing it down a notch? Are they Israelites? This is literally, do they share the blood lineage? Do they have that bloodline that brings them back to the original Jews? Are they Israelites? Yes, so am I. Right? And, uh, and uh, are they the offspring of Abraham? In other words, are they sharing in the promise that went through Abraham and down to the people below? Are they sharing in the promise from God Almighty of what's going to be done? Paul, so am I. Just so you know, in the original language, the word so am I, it's actually one word kind of combined together. It's kago. It means and I. Kago, and I also. That's what it means. So he's like, are they Hebrews? Kago. Can you hear how it's being brought down? It's like, I'm not making a big deal out of this. I'm just telling you me too, man. There's ways he could have said this in the Greek that would have so elevated the me part, the re-emphasizing it is so true about me. He's like, me too, me too, me too. The ethnic nature of what they're claiming does not somehow dismiss the fact that I am an apostle. You need to hear me, man. I've got it going on in those areas as well. He says, are they servants of Christ? Are they servants of Christ? Are they actually laying it on the line for Christ? Look at the next words that comes after it. Are they servants of Christ? Look what he says. I am a better one. And this is where Paul was like, hang on. You're going to need to hear a little foolishness. It's going to start to sound like I'm just getting to be a braggart. Now, here's the reality. Make sure whenever you are addressing a fool, you're saying what's true. Right? And he's like, I know this is sounding a little raw, but I'm telling you, man, are they serving Christ? Not better than I am. Be super cautious with what you're saying about me right now. Make sure you understand where I am at and what I am doing with my Savior. No, they do not have it more going on. Uh, are they servants of Christ? Yeah, me too, and a better one. He says, I am talking like a madman. He can't even stand to write the words down. He's like, are they servants of Christ? <laughs> All right, just, just write. I'm a better one. Oh, I'm talking like a madman. I can't even believe I'm talking this way. He's being brought to a level of having to reveal what God is doing in him. And really, it's like, I don't want to do this brag thing, but you've got to hear this, man. This is true. And uh, I'm talking like a madman. Uh, basically, in other words for, I don't like having to talk about myself. Can we please get off this topic super fast, but you need to hear this, right? And uh, now he starts to list out some details of the sufferings. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. He's like, I'm just telling you, I've gone through some pretty heavy loads. Now, please recognize, he's like, are they servants of Christ? Uh, I'm doing better. Here's what he doesn't say. 
10,000 people saved through me. I have planted hundreds of churches. God is using me to speak forth, and as I pen, people are recognizing it is inspired and it will be used for the next hundreds and hundreds of... He's not saying that. Everybody say, not that. He's like, is he a servant? I'm a better one. They threw me in prison a lot. Are you hearing it? They beat me a lot. He's talking about the things that cost, the sacrifices. I'm laying it on the line. They're stepping in in front of you and they're bragging about all their machismo and what they've got. I'm telling you, this is what a servant of Christ is made up of. I lay it on the line for Jesus. I'm willing to sacrifice. May God get all the glory. And he's like, so yeah, man, there's been a lot of imprisonments, a lot of beatings, he says, and often near death, right? Now we say words like, oh, I was dying, right? And what we mean was, I went like five and a half hours between meals, right? Like that was really hard. Oh, I had to wait till seven for dinner. What in the world, right? Like, and that's not what he's talking about here. This is not, not hyperbole, this is reality. Almost dead. Near death for Jesus Christ. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. The 40 lashes less one. What is 40 less one? 39. Why didn't he just say, I received 39 lashes? Because here's the deal. The 40 lashes statement meant that was how many times you would whip a person for them to die. Just so you know, they believed it took 40 heavy, hard lashes and it would kill. It would literally suck the life out of them. 40 lashes, it meant kill them for the words or the actions that they have done wrongly. Minus one, bring them just short of death. That's what it means. It is a vicious, horrific whipping that sucks the life out of you. He received the 40 lashes last one treatment. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. You see the lashes thing, that's when you're hit with a whip, it tears open your flesh, right? You end up with the wide open wounds on your back and across the sides of your arms as it wraps around and pulls back. You end up with this torn flesh and then as you put on any kind of clothing, I mean, you know what it is when you've got like a scrape or whatever and all of a sudden your clothes sort of dry to the blood and then as you pull it off, can you, right? Now imagine that's your whole back as you have to take that off. That's the lashes. It's the skin being torn. The rod is when the bones are broken. A heavy beat down with the rod that is taking it to bones, bruising muscle and breaking bones along the way. He received the rod three times. Um, once I was stoned. Uh, people literally chucking rocks about the size of his head at his head looking to take his life. After he was stoned, can you even imagine, right? Like when we trip on something and we stub our big toe, right? You're walking through the house. Somebody's left something out. Maybe it was you. You won't blame yourself though. So somebody else left something out, right? You trip on that and you hit your toe and you're like, oh, this kills, 
right? And that's our big toe as we sit in our comfortable homes with the temperatures managed, right? And uh, stones chucked at. First one hits him, knocks him down, and they keep throwing. To the point where they thought he was dead, they dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. They stoned him. He says, near to death, he really did think that could be it. This might be God calling him home. He says, three times I was shipwrecked and a night and a day I was adrift. He's like, you know, there were a lot of times where I had people mistreating me. That's what he just got done listing is all the people mistreatments, the political mistreatments, the the abuses that way. Then there was just the travel didn't go well, right? The planes, trains, and automobiles kind of statement, right? And like the ship just didn't work. Man, we ran aground. We hit rocks. We were wrecked on an island. We were stuck. We were adrift like the sails got torn and wouldn't catch wind and we're just floating around with whatever movement in the water there is. That's where we were. Why is that such a big deal? Well, because there's a point where you're going to run out of food and water, and death certainly becomes a risk at that point as well. And uh, he's like, I'm just telling you, the travel at times didn't go well. And uh, he says, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, and danger from my own people. Danger from rivers, danger from... Notice the word, everybody just say danger. Right, so on the first part, it was punishments. Now we're into dangers and risks and, and rivers that they had to cross and ford where they'd get dragged downstream and the potential of being drowned and robbers taking everything you own, which wasn't very much. And Paul's like, this is the things that I've been going through for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Danger from my own people and danger from the Gentiles, like whether Jew or Gentile. Everybody just say, that's everybody, right? Once you, Jews are the Jews, Gentiles are everybody else. So he's like, I'm just telling you, danger from pretty much all around me, whether it was my own people or the opposite of my own people. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. It didn't matter where I went, danger, okay? Now, some of that is because he was taking a stand for Jesus Christ, And he was going to make clear who Christ was. And quite frankly, the gospel message is a message that we have to accept that means I admit I need someone to save me. And if we're gripping onto self and saying I want it to be all about me, well, the gospel message gets hard to hear. And Paul is sharing that message. But he's also sharing it into political environments and regions that start talking about a king of kings. And the king of that community doesn't want to hear there's somebody bigger than him. This is all about the threat that came down of the message of Jesus Christ, who is in charge of the universe. And all of God's people said, and Paul's like, listen to me, man. I'm taking a stand as the servant of the Messiah, Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who's in charge. And that will bring heat. And here's the kind of heat I've been under. He's been talking about it for a little bit here, and he's been revealing out in various ways. He says, in danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, in the wilderness, at the sea. And then he brings the final one, danger from false brothers. This is a reference to the people he's been alluding to in the end of 10 and all of chapter 11. 
the super apostles, the fakers, the posers who have come into the church at Corinth and acted like they knew what was going on as they speak ill of Paul and all that's going on in his life, and they're drawing the people to start following them. And he's like, I'm in danger from that. The very people who are claiming that they are following Christ are actually a huge risk to me. Please be careful with what you're doing with them, these false brothers. This was kind of the end of a pretty forceful list of dangers as he's making it super crystal clear the risk he took for Jesus Christ. Now hardships, he says, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Every physical struggle you could have, he went through. Days without food, days without water, often without sleep, exhausted and fatigued, but he will stand up for Jesus Christ. And uh, he says, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And uh, it is amazing how much we get acclimated to wanting to be comfortable, isn't it? And all of a sudden, we have to, you think of our wardrobe shifts that have to happen throughout the year because of the weather change. We think of our designs of things we come up with. We've designed an air conditioning unit that now dumps cooler air into our house so we don't have to deal with the actual temperature of the outside, and, right? Everything is about adjust for comfort. And it isn't wrong that in some moments we're comfortable. It's not sin to be comfortable, but it is sin to demand you are always comfortable, And man, Paul's like, I'm just telling you I am absolutely taking a stand for Christ and it may cost me a ton and I'm in. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I will stand for him and I'm not questioning and measuring, do I get the comforts? I'm questioning, does my God get the glory? Do you hear that? It isn't, am I comfortable? It is, is my God being glorified? It is not about my comfort. It is about my king. Paul's walking through that and he's making it super crystal clear the comforts that he did not have. He says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And uh, just so you know, this word anxiety here, this is the word that he also uses in Philippians 4 when he says, don't be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Right? And he's like, I'm just telling you, the power of prayer removes those. And he's being very transparent here as he's like, the weight coming down on me at times I let get the better of me as the anxieties pressed in on the whole church. Notice it says of all the churches. Of how many of the churches? Paul's sitting over all of them. Do you understand when these guys are going against Paul and saying, forget him, this is the guy in charge of all church plants. Everywhere, Paul. I guess it's a huge deal. All the well-being of all the churches weighing on me as he's stuck in prison going, Lord, what do you want me to do next? How can I help next? Who do I need to send there? What letter do I need to write? What should I be doing next that this can continue on? What training needs to happen? What do I need to shape in sin, Lord? What do you want done? Paul feeling the weight of the world, and have you ever had those moments where you can't sleep at night, and then your mind starts spinning? On whatever, de- all you are sitting there like, nope, not me. 
I'm perfectly calm at night. Have you ever had those moments where you get the sleepless night because you're thinking about things and your mind starts spinning? Now we're seeing some head nods. Good. Join with me. And Paul's like, I'm just telling you, had a lot of those as I was concerned about what was going on for the church and trying not to own too much and asking the Lord what he wants me to do and trying to figure out how to hand this to him. Paul says, who is weak? And I am not weak. He's like, come on, man. Name me somebody who's been through this and more. Come on. Seriously. This is what God's called me to. He says, who is made to fall? That means who is caused to sin. Who's been challenged and caused to sin? And I am not indignant. He's like, I'm just telling you, when I hear that people are forced to sin, when they are drawn into something and now they misunderstand, when their sinfulness is now rising up because of somebody else's confusing them, I'm telling you, I get ticked off. I stand up for them. I long for them to be protected. Man, I am sacrificing it all, and I am sacrificing it all for you, the church at Corinth. I am laying it on the line. And uh, I just wrote this phrase down. If you're going to summarize this paragraph and the list that we just went through, it's this. A true servant is revealed in his sacrifices, not in his successes. A true servant is revealed in his sacrifices, not in his successes. Paul apologized profusely throughout this passage about get ready, I'm going to go a little foolish here. Get ready, I'm going to bring it big on me for a moment. Get ready, get ready, get ready. And then it was a list of all the sacrifices, the laying it out, the costs, the penalties, the hurts along the way. This is what I've done as I've been a part of whatever's gone on for Jesus Christ. He is emphasizing the word servant of Christ. Servant of Christ. And true servants are measured by their sacrifice and obedience, not by some self-proclaimed successes. He's like, let's make sure we've got that down. And... Uh, Again, who is made to fall? I'm indignant. Paul's like, I'm just telling you all this to protect you, man. I care for you. I long for you. I want the best for you. Paul is bringing it with passion. I'm telling you, I'm going after this in a huge way. I want you to grasp how God is working in me and through me. I'm laying it on the line. It's costing me high. Please stop listening to them. Please start listening to me. I don't want to talk about this much longer. I'm going to get off of it. This is very measured and very in the moment, but you've got to hear me. Please hear me. This humble proclamation about the greatness of Jesus Christ, the awesomeness of the cross, the need for a Savior, and that we must serve and obey Him. Paul. He's bringing it true, he's bringing it timely, he's bringing it measured, and he's bringing it humble as he's revealing out what's going on. You know, this past week, uh, a great man of God passed away, Billy Graham, uh, 99 years old. There's been a lot in the news, a lot in the news articles, there's been a lot on the web about him and Billy Graham, and uh, he didn't do everything right. He did make some mistakes along the way. There are some things that he needed to get better at and some things he adjusted, and there's a ton that he just took a stand for Christ on in some of the best ways possible. This was a guy who was super humble along the way. And uh, there are people who preferred that he would have been more invested into the, uh, 
civil rights movements in the 1960s, and why aren't you speaking up more? And his statements were pretty clear. I long to see hearts turned towards Christ, not laws adjusted so this, comfortable gets more, this world gets more comfortable and people are still on their way to hell. I don't want to see that. And so he had a calling. He had a, a desire to share Jesus Christ. I appreciate the passion he took, just so you know as he then takes a stand for Jesus Christ and he shares the gospel message. And the gospel message can be offensive. If you're wanting and longing to hear that you can do it yourself, that you've got the mojo, that's a hard message to hear. When the message is we are all sinners, we are all making mistakes and coming short of the glory of God and there is no hope in our own work. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and him going to the cross. That is the message of the gospel and all of God's people said, and that is a huge deal. We trust in Jesus Christ. Billy Graham brought that in a massive way. Um, here are a couple of headlines that I found this week and it didn't take much. I mean, you just type in his name and it's amazing what you find. Headlines, uh, here's one. Power in humility. And then it talked all about Billy Graham and how he walked a life that was not trying to draw attention to self, but to draw attention to Jesus Christ. And uh, this was written by a believer, and so they had a little bit of that perspective, right? Power in humility. Here's another one. Remember Graham for his understanding and humility. This was not written by a believer, but this was somebody who saw him beginning to work with people and always, small me, big God, I'd love to care for you. And uh, this is a headline, man. Remember Graham for his understanding and humility. Man, if we, when we pass away, could have a headline like that for us, right? And uh, Billy Graham living it for Jesus Christ. And uh, here's another one. On Billy Graham, calling and humility. The word humility was all over the place this week for this guy. And people recognized how much he did not force it to be about himself as he walked through, but he would absolutely take a stand for Jesus Christ. And uh, so here's another headline. The soul-crushing legacy of Billy Graham, written in Rolling Stone magazine. And the guy said in part of his quote there, Billy Graham promised me eternal damnation and I have never been able to get over it. Let that settle. Billy Graham stood up and said, every one of us is in need of a savior. Jesus Christ alone is that savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You need him as your king. He has gone to the cross. He has died and he has risen. His grace, his mercy. He is our hope. And all of God's people said, and what that man heard was, I cannot do it myself. You have told me it's hopeless. That's what he heard. And I'm just telling you the gospel message, it is a message that people stumble on if they long to make it about themselves. Man, if you're here this morning and you're longing to make it about you and the story of how you pulled yourself up, please hear me. The gospel message is clear. We cannot get it done. And there is a hopelessness in that if you want to stand alone by yourself. But here's the high hope. Jesus Christ has mercy and grace and he loves you with all he's got. Let him lead. May he be your king. 
Worship him with all you've got. Allow him to cover the debt you owe. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Man, that is so, so refreshing. If you're here today and you came in battling for self, set self down and pick up Jesus Christ, will you please? I'm telling you, there's such hope in that. Billy Graham shared that message. Humble, true, timely, measured. And God used him powerfully in this nation over these years. It's not to say perfection. There's things he even said at the end, I wish I had done a few things differently in a big way. But a man who's following after God and God used him, may Jesus Christ get all the glory. And all of God's people said, simple question for you. So how are you doing at taking a bold stand? A timely stand. How are you doing at living for Jesus Christ and being willing to share of his greatness. Are you in? And are you willing to stand for him when he so calls you to, to make much of Jesus Christ? That's the first point. Second, we must remember that our greatest boasting is in our weakness because it will always elevate our God. We must remember that our greatest boasting is in our weakness because it will always elevate our God. He says, if I must boast, remember we're talking about the timeliness. He's like, I can see it's needed right now. It's confusing people. It's hurting the church. It's time for me to stand up. If I must boast, now is the moment I have to stand up. So here I go. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I'm not going to boast about my strengths. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, notice the strength in God Almighty, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. I'm telling you the truth, right? Make sure whenever you're confronting a fool, you're sharing the truth. He's like, I'm telling you the truth. Bottom line, I don't want it to be about any of my successes. I want it to be about my weaknesses. May it be only about God and his successes. He says, let me share a weakness with you. That's my little paraphrase thrown in there for the moment so you understand why this little story is here. It says, at Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. He's like, listen, this is how powerful I am. I had to hide in a basket and be let down outside the city wall and run for my life. Weakness. It's not about the things I can do of my own hands. I was running for my life against politicians who wanted me dead. He says, I must go on boasting. Notice the word must. He's like, I'm telling you, this is a timely moment. It has to happen. Though there is nothing to be gained by it. Listen, I understand that the Non-believing super apostles aren't going to care about the vertical information I'm going to give you right now. But it's important you hear this. So here we go. He says, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Here's some things that God has revealed to me. This is a huge deal. He says, I know a man in Christ. Everybody say, that's humble. All right, everybody say, that's Paul. 
He's talking about himself. He's like, listen, I know this guy. He's talking in the third person now. He's like, I'm not even going to put my name to it. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Just so we understand, in the Jewish thought, there are three heavens. The first heaven is like the clouds and the blue sky right around us, right? That's the, the, where the birds fly. That's the first heaven. The second heaven, that's like the stars and the moon and the sun and the, the space out there beyond, right? And the third heaven, that's where Jesus Christ is at. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. All those who have passed away end up, those who are trusting in Christ, are in that place with God Almighty right now, the third heaven. This is Jewish thought and the way they talk about it. So he's using the Jewish language. He's like, I was captured up into the third heaven. There was a moment where Paul, while alive on this earth, was brought up to an experience with Jesus in paradise, with all of those who have believed and trusted and passed away. He was in that place. It says, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. He's like, I really don't know what happened. Like, I can't even explain to you. I don't know if I was taken up their whole body or if it was just a vision in my mind or something. I don't know what happened. God knows. And uh, notice again, I don't know. God knows. And uh, if you want a lesson 101 in how to brag, that's it. I don't know. God knows, right? And he's handing it over to God. He says, and I know that this man, again, Paul, was caught up into paradise, this third heaven, also called paradise. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he was talking to the robber and the one thief, like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And the other thief says, sure, please, Lord, remember me today. And he said, surely today you will be with me in this place. Jesus here with those who have passed away and trusted in him, and Paul is captured up. Again, he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man cannot say, man cannot utter. The reality is he was up in this paradise where Jesus Christ is. He is seeing the very glory of God Almighty. He is in the place of perfection. However he got there, he is witnessing of this, the thunderous greatness of God Almighty ripping through the place, the universe beating to this drum, all of those around in perfect worship. He is seeing things said. He is hearing things done. Man, he knows stuff about worship we do not get. He has seen things done we will not see until we get there. He has seen stuff that he is not allowed to talk about. Can you imagine that moment where God leans to you and goes, dude, don't tell anybody this, (laughs) right? And you're like, can I at least say I'm not allowed to talk about it? Like, you can say that. He's like, I saw stuff I can't even utter to you. I'm telling you the greatness of Jesus Christ on full display before him, altering his life forever as he was able to get a taste of that which we're headed to, eternal perfection with God Almighty and Jesus Christ in charge. How much did it matter to him? Well, I'm telling you this. He says, Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Hear me, man. He's talking about the afflictions of this world, and he's like, check this. Every pain, every hurt, every heartache, every 
comfort that is missing, I'm telling you, it is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. That's not some moment where Paul's like, boy, I hope this is true. He's like, I was there. I saw it. I'm telling you, the glory that's coming is thunderously greater than anything we're tasting here. Light and momentary. Those are the afflictions he used for 40 lashes minus one. Rods that were breaking bones and bruising. Dragged out dead after being stoned and left. Light and momentary. He's like, I'm telling you, the greatness of the glory of God Almighty is something you can't even begin to imagine. Just trust me. The smallness of this world is going to be so stunningly nothing compared to the greatness of Jesus Christ and paradise when we're there. And all of God's people said, man, man. What a huge, huge privilege we have to be able to hear a little of what God has in store. Please hear me. As we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, he is guaranteeing for us not just a taste of it, but an eternity living in it, where this pain is done and gone, and forever we are with our Lord. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache, and we are worshiping the King of Kings with all we've got. That is awesome. Paul's like, just know that's what's going on. He said, on behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast. Look, man, if you're going to make me put my name to it, I'm not talking about it, right? And uh, except of my weaknesses, that's the only thing I'm going to boast of. Though, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. Please notice a key aspect to the fool is lies. And Paul's like, I'm just telling you, everything I'm telling you here is true. When we confront a fool, make sure you're always telling what's true, okay? And Paul's like, I'm telling you it's true, and I wouldn't be lying if I put my name to it, but I won't do that. I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or he hears from me. He's like, hear me. My job is not to brag on myself. My job is to be it. My job is to not tell you about it. My job is to be it. Don't brag on it. Be it. Do you hear me? Don't brag on yourself. Be it. Choose what God is showing you in Scripture to run after and go after with all you've got and live it holy and righteously, fervently and humbly, passionately following after your God and watch God be glorified. If someone notices in the middle of it, Great, that's for them to notice. And when they come to you, you just say, praise God, I appreciate that. May God get all the glory. That's it, get me out of this, man. It is so not about me. It is all about my God. And all of God's people said, may we live it, not brag on it. That's it. Man, if you are needing to address someone according to their folly, Make sure you are wisely managing what's happening. 
Make sure you are measuring the truth of it, the timeliness of it, the measured nature of it, and your humility in it. It doesn't mean you won't have some truth about who you are. That might come to bear, but be humble as you go. The other side. Is somebody talking to you and asking you to hear something and you're not willing to hear it? Man, would you hear them, please? Opening your ears and being able to see what they're pointing out, would you allow your God to take over in your life? Humble. Lord Jesus, you're in charge. I'm ready to hear from you. Cautious confrontation. Measured confrontation. Not running in and looking for a fight everywhere we go, but willing to take the stand that God might get all the glory. And all of God's people said, that is cautious confrontation.